everyone, this is Dr. George Garrow, Chief Medical Officer here at Primary Health Network. Welcome to another installment of our PHN podcast. I'm uh, joined today by Katie Gassner, who's a certified tobacco treatment specialist from here in the community. And uh, Katie has kindly agreed to join us today uh, to talk about a very important topic related to tobacco treatment. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Dr. Garrow. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. So for the past eight years, I've been serving our community as a public health advocate and primarily focused on tobacco dependence treatment. And this role is through Nicotine Free Northwest PA. So in every county in Pennsylvania, there's someone that is doing the same job as I am. And it's just to help bring free resources to our individuals in the community. Wonderful. So um, let's sort of start at the sort of very beginning of all of this. Tell us, you know, what is nicotine and, and why worry about nicotine and tobacco? Sure, I'd love to. So one of the things I thought, since I spend a lot of time in the community, I would kind of give us the perspective from what our community members share about nicotine, if that's all right. Sure. So many of the group members that come to classes, they will first, you know, Anyone will say nicotine, it comes from a plant, we know a tobacco plant, it grows in the southern climate. We often have individuals then say, oh, the newest form of nicotine would be nicotine salts. And they are referring to something that's in an e-cigarette or in sometimes we see it marketed as as tobacco-free nicotine pouches. So those items are things that are highly addictive. Sometimes they mask the taste and they're very appealing to our young ones. So with Nicotine, we know that it harms every organ in the body, and it's very quickly addicting to our young ones, and really at any age. So one of the things that we work really hard is to have participants start to talk about uh, this addiction and to not be afraid to have this conversation. And opening up is sometimes some of the hardest part of recognizing that there might be something that we need to address together with individuals. We know that brain science has taught us a lot about nicotine, that it primes the brain for addiction, and this often leads to the pathways if other drugs are being used, alcohol, opiates, or perhaps any sort of cocaine or marijuana. One of the most common things I think I hear from our individuals in our groups is they're talking about they feel that although nicotine controls their thoughts, their finances, some of the things in their personal lives, They know it's harmful to their brains and their bodies. They want to stop, but they just can't. And that truly speaks to how strong nicotine addiction is. So um, tell us about the the tobacco industry and how the tobacco industry sort of controls the dialogue at the consumer level. Sure. So in society, if we think about who's going to profit from high tobacco use rates, uh, we're going to land on the same answer every time, that it's big tobacco and the e-cigarette industries. And that kind of perpetuates these long ingrained myths that have glamorized tobacco use. And we know that in our marginalized community members that we have they've been targeted by big tobacco companies and it perpetuates this narrative for years that we've grown up where tobacco has been almost normalized in our community so even our young future leaders are at risk right now when we talk about their young brains being formed in the vaping industry we know that they have sleekly designed products fruit flavored products that are very very appealing to our young people so with that kind of in mind the we talk about if we want to help our individuals seek treatment, we have to begin to look at our social norms as a whole. What are we doing in our community and in our culture? 
what are we doing to help shape this narrative? Um, we have addiction science, we have over 50 years of documented research, and we know that it is possible to make changes and to get help from nicotine addiction. So um, I've heard from many users of tobacco and nicotine that, gosh, I really need it because it helps to control my stress. Probably one of the most common um, things that people say, and also it's one of the highest misconceptions out there. The truth is that nicotine is a drug that keeps a person's body in the cycle of stress. If you think about from when nicotine is used to how then the body is withdrawing from the nicotine. But when someone stops using nicotine, we often see that they have an improved mood, improved quality of life, and decreased depression and anxiety over long term. So I've heard from individuals who said, you know, I've tried to quit and it just hasn't worked for me. If they tried and aren't successful, is it possible that they could succeed another time? Of course. So on average, it, we know that it takes anywhere from 7 to 11 attempts for someone to truly get to the space that they want to be. Over time, we know that each time we practice, we get a little bit better and a little bit stronger. So it would really be like if you were going to use your non-dominant hand to write with. At first, it would feel kind of out of control. It would look very awkward. Um, it may even be hard to recognize. But then the more you practiced, if you were engaged in a group, if you had some opportunities to make change, all of a sudden you'd start to discover that practice became easier. It started to become second nature. And even that thing that felt so out of control at the beginning, it would start to look very legible, very normal. Um, and that's kind of how it is with tobacco use disorder. You know. It, at first, if you don't succeed, keep at it. And each time, whatever you've done from the time before, hopefully you can build that into your quit and your recovery plan and get stronger the more you're practicing. So Katie, what you're describing and as you're relating this, you're coming at this from a very positive aspect, you know, really a positive approach to tobacco treatment. What are some of the options that folks might have available if they're interested in quitting? Sure. So if anyone would like to make some changes, we know that it takes a community. So with that in mind, there are the 1-800-QUIT-NOW. It's an available resource uh, for any Pennsylvanian out there. So I love this because you can call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. It's a 24-7 uh, telephonic phone system. And when you call, you'll get a live certified tobacco treatment specialist. Uh, the great part is that they will help you generate a quit plan um, that is unique to the individual. So if someone is interested and says, I have a very busy life, I can only talk uh, early in the morning or late in the evening, you can set up your calls. Uh, they're typically once a week for five weeks um, to be during those timeframes that really fit your schedule. The other nice thing is we live in a time where sometimes insurance is a, a a bugger to get the products that you might need. Transportation may be an issue. The great thing about the quit line is they can offer up to eight weeks of free nicotine replacement therapies, and they mail it right to your doorstep as long as there are no medical complications. Uh, so another great resource that quit line can be. And if you're someone that says, I am not on board for talking on the phone, paquitlogics.org is another exceptional resource. I'd say my very favorite of them is smokefree.gov. If you can remember that, this could be a resource that could fit anyone's lifestyle. At the top, when you click on smokefree.gov, 
you'll notice that there are six different categories and you can, whichever one that you feel that you best identify with, uh, whether it's a 60 plus, if it's a veteran, LGBTQA, whatever it may be, uh, all the materials are tailored for that specific population. The free apps that come from there tell you how much life you're gaining back, how much money you're saving. So if you can remember smokefree.gov with tons of free choices through there. That's great. So for our listeners who may have someone in their family or their community, someone in their you know, circle of friends who's trying to quit, how can we be supportive of them in that journey? So I'm so glad you asked. So many times people think that we are being really good supporters to our loved ones. However, we might sometimes have a hint of sarcasm, a little bit of shame, and there's no place for that in tobacco recovery. Because we know when we are able to be, have less stress, we're able to broaden and build new concepts, we're able to make some changes. So if you approach, we have a positive environment and we approach individuals from that angle, we help them grow as well when they're trying to make some changes. I do know that one of the things, you don't have to be a tobacco treatment specialist to help engage someone. Just think about if you've ever tried to make a change in your life, it's tough. And so we need to really understand that concept that when it's tough to make change, we need to be the supportive ones. And if we can't be, then it's best we can step back and kind of point them in the right direction. So if today you heard something and you're thinking, well, I don't use tobacco, that's absolutely fine. But you may be the one that could be a support to a friend or a coworker or a family member that might really need to hear that at some point. That's wonderful. Any advice for parents of adolescents or children who might you know, be experimenting or using uh, nicotine-containing products. Yeah, so that is a great point. Keep those conversations and doors open when talking with your young ones. Uh, we know that often kids learn from their environments, so we want to try to be really good examples for our young people around us. The other thing is, is having an open and honest conversation with your young people. You know, at school, there's still a lot of peer pressure as it relates to tobacco. We often hear people say that as older adults, that tobacco was the first drug that they've ever tried, or they shared that they were a very young age. So it would be important to talk with our young people, too, about it's probably going to happen that someone may bring an e-cigarette or a vape to a party. What are you going to say? What kind of questions do you have about that? And having an escape plan is always an excellent idea have a secret word or a code that you guys could text that means that they might need some help getting out of a situation. I think at the end of the day, it's just really important to make sure our young people know that the decisions that they're making now can really affect later in life. Um, and we know that nicotine is such a strong, fast addiction. So if we can keep them from trying, we know that the majority of adults, they either started in their childhood or they have not used tobacco at all. So that's something to really try to keep nicotine away from their young developing brains as long as we can. Well, thank you, Katie. I think this has really been a very enlightening uh, conversation. I appreciate you going over all of this with me, explaining this to me and, and to our community members. I think what we've learned today is that nicotine is a very highly addictive substance, highly addictive compound that's present not only in tobacco-containing products, but now in other forms. And it really sounds like you and your team are doing a great job to try to help educate our community on treatment options that are available and ways that we can support others in their journey to, towards uh, tobacco 
sensation and taking control of tobacco use again. Thank you, Dr. Garrow. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. And thank you, listeners. I hope you found uh, this podcast informative as I have. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on our next uh, session. Thanks again. Thanks again.